Can you hear me, Julia? I've got you. I've got you. I have switched off my phone because I didn't want my dad calling again uh, okay, when we well started done. this podcast. <laughs> That's a good start. That's what happened last time on A Little Bit of Positive. It was Daddy Bradbury. And I don't think he actually understood me when I said I'm recording a podcast. He went, what? 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 Yeah, what's a podcast? What's, what is a podcast? People over 80 don't really get podcasts. They don't understand what a podcast is. You have to basically say it's the radio. It's like a radio show. Yeah. You can listen to it whenever you like. You don't have to and be you, in. And you can listen to it on your phone. They're like, what? What's a phone? <laughs> does not have a smartphone my dad has one of those he has a clamshell phone with the largest um figures on it possible for his big clunky fingers um well, you and can, he yeah you can buy those big phones can't you with, with with big which are just numbers which you can just text on and do nothing yes. else well that, that it is all you all he can do on his phone is text he doesn't have a clue what a smartphone is or does he doesn't take photos on his phone he actually doesn't even use his phone he doesn't even answer it so i don't know why he's got one <laughs> what a lovely place to be in not having a phone yes that that is that i think that's that's just joy in the 21st century isn't yeah it? there's something there'd be something to be said for doing that i think maybe we should yeah. all go back to those big brick phones just ponder on that for a moment, mm. listeners. Life without 24-hour technology, how good would that be? Mm. Well, mm. that actually leads quite nicely onto a story I was reading this week about a tribe in the Amazon called the Simane tribe, who um, it's some scientists have been doing some tests on them all about brain atrophy. Do you know what brain atrophy is, Julia? Well, I did a space programme for the BBC many years ago and I learned all about muscle atrophy, which is when your muscles are shrinking in space. You need to work oh, out yes. and you need to keep your muscles strong um, so that you can um, work against the forces of gravity, of course. So I'm assuming that it's uh, it's brain shrinkage. And, and I know as well from various other things that I've done that exercise, for example, um, I don't know if it stops the brain from shrinking, but it certainly grows the brain. Mm. So exercise is good for you. And it's not just good for your muscles and good for digestion and good for all those other things in your mental health. It's also good for the brain because it does grow the brain. In fact, we, one of our guests spoke about that in, in our first series of a little bit of positive. So yes, yeah, so brain atrophy um, is, is the opposite of brain growage. Would that be right? <laughs> the, that wonderful term, growage, scientific. Growage, yeah. <laughs> um, that could be a good name for the um, for the podcast this week. Self-growage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's true. And actually, they've what these scientists have found that, you know, people in the Western world, we're, we're a lot more sedentary. We don't eat as well. Um, and our, it affects our atrophy. And obviously, if you've got a high... Um, there's a high level of heart disease that can affect your atrophy as well. And obviously this tribe, they took this poor tribe that 746 participants between yeah. the ages of uh, 40 and 94, they had to do a, a full two days travel um, by river and road to get to the university for this testing. You, I think you, I believe you 
done something similar before. I've done, well, I filmed with uh, tribes people in Indonesia and it was a two day, well, it was, it was five days to get to the one island on a, mm. on a, on a boat. Um, and then it was another two days to get into the heart of the jungle to another section, one of the other islands. And that was in a dugout. And yeah, so I've done that journey. It's a long, long way. Um, and I, they volunteered to do this, did they, these tribes people? Well, I don't know about that, but um, they did it. <laughs> they were coerced. They were, they were captured. Uh, that's so, suddenly this positive story is losing its spin. No, they weren't captured. But anyway, they went and did it. I'm sure they were happy to do it. But uh, they did these brain scans and they found that um, a lot of the the tribe, their, their atrophy lessened as they got older. So they were far less likely to have cognitive impairment, suffer yeah. from Alzheimer's, dementia, levels against lower, heart disease. Lower, lower levels of heart yeah, disease. disease. Yeah, and just generally healthier in mind and body. And a lot of it comes down to their their, their lifestyle. You know, they're, they're a lot more active. They eat better. And, you know, they eat more lean food, a lot more fish, um, lots more vegetables, and they're just generally more active, and they just look after themselves more, which is obviously something that, you know, in the Western world, we're becoming less good at. Yeah, I think it is. It's the outdoor lifestyle thing. It sounds, everything that you're saying uh, sounds very similar to the description of communities that live in the world's blue zones. So there are, um, I think there are five or six blue zones around the world, and this is where people live communities live to be over 100 but they live healthily it's not like they you know hit 80 and then they get they go to a care home and they don't move for the next 10 years or, or whatever and then they die they are active members of the community and society and um, i've read quite a lot about okinawa which is one of the blue zones in japan and all sounds very similar they have um, very healthy diets local produce local food they're very active. Many of the many of the community members in their 80s or 90s are still playing local sports. They're humping, they're ju jumping on their bicycles. Um, they play they play board games. They're just active and involved, and all of that just is very very powerful when it comes to maintaining your health. You have to stay busy. My new favorite expression is sitting down is the new smoking. I think that in less than 10 years time, we will all be told that this sedentary lifestyle that many of us are leading is, well, it is, there's no question, it is really bad for you. Mm. You need to move. I've written an article about this. You need to move because not just for your brain, but you need to get, you need to get your body parts moving and your body parts include your organs because of your, of course, your organs are processing everything that you do the food that you eat the air that you breathe the water that you drink is your organs and your bodily functions mm. that, that are that are keeping you going so even walking obviously i'm i'm the big walker walking exercises your diaphragm and exercises your intestines and of course your intestines they're like muscles they're like waves and when you exercise them um you digest your food more efficiently which is why you should always go for if you had a big big meal go for a walk mm. after you've had your big meal because it will help you digest it so that makes perfect sense to me that's funny if, you say about that about the big meal i mean i remember as a child if we had a big roast dinner we'd always go for a walk afterwards when my grandparents was always making it was part of their routine when they were mm. kids as well it was but i think we have lost that a little bit along the way Definitely, uh, we have. And, uh, and I think we've, we sort of, 
well, pre-pandemic, we had this very prescribed time, I will go to the gym and that would be my exercise. There's new research coming out now that says if you go to the gym before your job and then you sit down at an office for eight or nine hours, it doesn't mean anything. It's sort of you're, you're negating. You need to, your body needs to move regularly. You need to step away from the screen regularly. You need to move regularly and you need to get daylight regularly um, to improve your efficiency and to improve your health and to improve your productivity uh, and your mental alacrity. So if, you're, if your boss complains that you're sort of taking too many breaks, and this, by the way, cigarettes uh, breaks don't count. That is not <laughs> a healthy break away from your, from your computer screen. But but it's it's I think it's becoming more and more a part of culture. Walking walking meetings are a big thing. I mean, I did work with um, a British company uh, over here called Heck. They make sausages and they mm. make vegetarian and vegan sausages. Very and all good sorts sausages. Of stuff. And they uh, are they've done an, is- an initiative recently where they are paying all of their staff, including people who work in the factories and, and across the board, their marketing team, the whole lot. They're paying them. Um, an hour to to take a walking break to go outside. So and and it's not docked. It's like we want you to take this time. It's adding to your productivity. It's adding to your health. So it's it's a paid hour basically of um, of mental uh, melt, mental and physical wellness, which is a brilliant brilliant thing to do. That's amazing. And, uh, yeah, and lots and lots of companies should be following suit because very selfishly you'll get more out of your team when you do that because they'll be better at their jobs. Absolutely. No, it does. It does make a huge difference to people. Um, another person who makes a huge difference to others is um, a wonderful author called Susie Redding, who we had on the podcast this week, who's written uh, several books about um, self-care. One mm. she's written for adults is called Self-Care in Tough Times. And it was really fascinating talking to Susie about her work and um, the sort of things that she puts in place to help her through each day. Yeah, I think we can all feel a little bit guilty about taking time out and looking after ourselves. And that's what self-care is all about. It's really important that we we do this, but we can't feel guilty about it. And uh, Susie talked about so many important aspects of this. She really did, yeah. I mean, so many things that simple things as well you know we just talked about like there's there are certain simple things you can do to improve your health and your mental health and i think again what susie's saying is not you know it's all simple things it's making sure you get a good night's sleep it's um you know doing a bit of yoga a bit of meditation now and again you know reflecting on things it's all very simple things that we can be doing each day i think susie explains it slightly better than you giles and i mean that with love (laughs) lots better than me here she is well Susie it's it's wonderful to see you I know we've been friends for quite some time on social media so it's lovely to actually have a proper conversation with you I know we're not doing it in person which would be much nicer but maybe at some point we'll be able to do that but I think you know you've certainly got a um a self you're a bit of a self-care guru uh, that's what, how I kind of perceive you. How did you first get into this way of living and this um, this path that you've now you're now treading and and obviously um, sharing with the rest of the world? Okay. Well, first first things first. Oh, do you know I I, I specialise in self care, but I ain't no guru. And everything that I talk about, I have learnt the hard right. way. Um, I'm grateful for the term self care because it's the thing that makes sense of my qualifications as a chartered psychologist, 
yoga teacher and I also spent a decade working as a personal trainer. So self-care is the thread that draws all those different modalities together. But the reason why I'm sitting here today talking about this with my hands on my heart is my lived experience of becoming a mum at the same time as losing my dad and learning the hard way what happens when self-care either falls away or it becomes inaccessible. Um, and, and that's why I'm so passionate about raising awareness of what it is, clearing out the misconceptions, and most importantly, empowering people with the toolkit of, of doable, accessible and potent nourishing practices. Susie, we talk quite a lot on this podcast about taking care of ourselves and, and self-care, as you call it. And, and we talk about the importance of routines and connecting with nature and talking to friends and colleagues regularly. And we certainly, we, we big up the self-care, I would say, Giles, wouldn't you? It's, it's something that we, uh, we really do, um, we, we really do value. But let's, let's, let's assume that people haven't listened to a little bit of podcast um, before, a little bit of, a little bit of podcast, that's our new name, a little bit of positive <laughs> before. Um, and, and perhaps people aren't familiar with self-care what exactly is your definition of it because you've written several books I mean the self-care revolution the little book of self-care self-care through tough times so you say you're not a guru but you've, you've certainly written enough about it to to be more knowledgeable <laughs> than us um so try and explain it to to our listeners and then we'll we'll delve a little bit deeper well I'm grateful for the opportunity to clarify what it means because even when people have heard of it I think there are lots of myths and misconceptions about what it constitutes so in a nutshell Self-care is health care. So it's nourishment for your head, your heart and your body. And I think most people are very well versed in what it takes to um, nourish our physical health. But when it comes to our emotional health, energetic health, mental health, I think we need to have more of a conversation and broaden our toolkit. But there is a second part of the definition that I hope will help people get clear on what it means to take care of ourselves in the moment. And that is... The true act of self-care helps you cope right now, but it also makes tomorrow easier. So it actually tends to your future self. So I think that's, that's quite a useful distinction between coping mechanisms like crutches, um, like caffeine, alcohol, screens to numb our emotion, online shopping, all of that stuff. And the real genuine juicy self-care that helps you cope right now, but makes tomorrow easier. That's a great way of putting it. And we tend to feel guilty, don't we, about our mental health self-care. And Why is that? We're fine saying we're going to the gym or we're going to do a yoga class or uh, whatever, our physical exercise, we're going for a run. And people accept that widely amongst your friends and your peer mm. groups. But if you say, oh, I, I'm, I'm going to meditate or I'm going to stand in the garden or um, I'm going to chant or whatever it might be, whatever your self-care routine is, we, we curl our lips a bit more, don't we? Yeah, and that's a very insightful observation. I think it's largely due to the fact that we've had several decades of public health campaigns reinforcing what physical health is and why it's important, what we need to do to take care of ourselves. But it's only very recently that we've started to have a more open and honest dialogue around mental health. And I think it's also quite recent that we're starting to look at not just how to manage mental health issues, but actually how everybody needs to tend to their mental health so that we can make it through our day. The fact is, stress is ever-present. You know, it's something that we all need to have in our toolkit so that we can, you know, cope with the washing machine at 
won't stop beeping until you turn it off and the, the technology use that is just part and parcel of everyday life. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pleased that we're having a more um, open dialogue. But, yeah, there, there's still an awful amount of, of guilt around taking time for ourselves. And it's also that we're embedded in a culture that tells us you snooze, you lose, that rest is somehow indulgent, which is just a dangerous nonsense, isn't it? Yeah, we need we need our sleep, we need our nourishment, as you say. We uh, we need to be working on our on our mental health the same way that we that we work on our physical health. It's like gardening, really, isn't it? You can't expect a you wouldn't expect a garden to flourish and to grow unless you tended to the weeds and spent spent your time poodling poodling around in the garden. Exactly, beautifully put. Now, obviously, I started the pod by asking you about how you got into it and obviously you it was a very difficult you know difficult circumstances difficult experiences for you um what what did first sort of lead you to looking into this way of okay. life so I'd always had a very um strong commitment to to well-being so I always had my yoga practice I was immersed in nature's beauty I was aware of, of coping skills like savoring and um gratitude um but it was my postnatal depression counsellor saying to me, what's in your self-care toolkit? Oh, God, I'd never heard of that word before. I'd never heard of that phrase. And, you know, I've, I've, got, a, I've got a master's degree in psychology. It just, it, you know, my daughter's now 10. So a decade ago, these, these terms weren't so commonly used. It was that question that made me realise, oh, my goodness, if I, if I want to be present for my daughter, I need to take care of myself. She deserves a resourced mother. Um, and it was then just taking a look at, okay, so I can't get to the yoga class. I'm not going to go for the run on the beach because my body mind is literally crying out for, for soothing stillness and, and, and absence of stimulation. But what I can do is roll out my yoga mat, get on it, have a little stretch and maybe have a little sleep. And so that's what I did. It was just sort of this redefining of, of what it is to nourish ourselves and that's really where my passion has come for looking at how we can sustain ourselves through tough times because no one's immune from stress, loss and change. Yeah. Yeah, it was... Dad had a breathing failure when I was 40 weeks pregnant and we ended up rushing him to hospital, to the same hospital that I was due to give birth in. And he actually survived for 15 months it was posthumously diagnosed as motor neurone disease, but in his lifetime, there was no diagnosis, so no treatment, no idea of what to expect. So it was a very long, drawn-out period of, of acute stress. All at the um, same time that you were meant, yeah. meant to be enjoying one of the happiest moments of your life. And I can relate a little bit to this because I was pregnant with my first child. I've got three now. Um, and I was pregnant with my little boy when, when my mother was going through cancer uh, treatment. And we weren't sure that she was going to make it. So, of course, you are conflicted because on the one hand, you have one of the most joyous moments of your own life. You're about to give birth to a new human being. And on the other hand, your carer, the person that brought you into the world, could possibly die. And, and in your case, sadly, did in the end. And my mum survived and is still here. Um, but you, but it, doesn't, it doesn't help with that, that conflict. And that's a very difficult range of emotions to deal with and cope with isn't it so that's quite a big launching pad for you to to to, to delve into the self-care world from that point 
there was some pretty big lessons learnt hard and fast. But, you know, in the hindsight of having time to heal, that was one of the beautiful silver linings is that I, I just, I learnt so much about grief and what it takes to, to, to embark on a healing journey. So I can sit here and talk to you with a sense of authenticity. And I, I think these experiences are very common. You know, the more people I speak to, the more these collision of life events, whether it's parenthood or, you know, job stress coinciding with getting married. It's it's just life in its full glory and it keeps happening, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Now, what I was going to ask was, um, obviously, you know, you had you were talking to your counsellor and you, he said about the, the self-care toolkit. Now, obviously, you were saying that, you know, you hadn't really like heard of that or, or thought of the concept of it. What were those initial baby steps that you might have started to take at that time to start, to start building up that toolkit okay. for yourself? It was getting clear on new boundaries and allowing myself to say, I would so love to see you, but actually I can't, I haven't got the capacity to, to cope with your toddler screaming around the room while I'm trying to get my baby to sleep. So it was kind of just saying, do you know what, let's just have a 10-minute phone conversation. Or it was just being very, very careful with energy management. And I tell you what, having that sleep on the yoga mat, that was the thing that literally put me back together. And I would, I would set myself up in a restorative yoga pose. I'd have the monitor next to me so I knew my little one was okay and I just allow myself to drop off. And that's really what I needed. And then when there was a little more of a resurgence of energy, then it became more about a standing practice or, or getting out into nature's beauty. And well, to be honest with you, she wouldn't sleep during the day unless I was pushing her in the pram. So I was getting a good dose of nature therapy every day. <laughs> but it was, <laughs> it was just little bit by little bit. And, and to be honest with you, I have two children and, and the variables around the arrival of, of my, my second weren't too dissimilar to the first. So we we moved back to the UK to be with my father-in-law who was in end-stage heart failure. Um, and in the interim of, of leaving Australia, I fell pregnant. So when we arrived, I was 12 weeks pregnant. And it was, again, this sort of trying to establish new life, get my daughter into school and have a new baby and mourn the loss of life. Thankfully, my father-in-law got to meet little Ted they had four months together, so it was all worth it. But I tell you what, those two experiences were vastly different because in, in the interim between my father's passing and getting back on my feet, I spent a lot of time writing down how I could take care of myself in ways that take little time, little energy, little expense. So it was all fleshed out. So when Ted arrived, it was like, I know what I'm doing here. And it still hurt like hell. It was still tough. But... Yeah, at no point did I not want to be here anymore. That was a big difference. So people will be listening and you have lived it, as, as you say. And, and yes, we all of us go through uh, troubles and strifes. That's what life is. What are some of your, your, um, your top tips? It sounds a bit glib to, to put it in a top tip form. But, but uh, for people who are coming to terms with self-care saying yes I can embrace it I can understand it and I, I now know what it is and I'm comfortable doing that what do you say about starting off and and doing it for for ourselves where do we begin uh, that's a beautiful question because for so many people they'll be going yeah I get it it's really important I'd love to do it but how on earth am I meant to shoehorn that into my day as well so 
my first suggestion is to just take a little mental run through of the things that you do in your day anyway, everyday actions. And the question that I pose is, how can you make those everyday actions a little more tender, a little more caring, a little more gentle? So it could be as simple as how you greet the day. Do you pick up your phone and start scrolling? Or do you run through all of those things that are required of you? Or can you just give yourself 30 seconds to feel the warmth of the covering around you? Can you listen out for the dawn chorus? Or could you at least... Just let your mind linger on one thing that you're happily anticipating in your day, even if it's getting back into bed at the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're right. And it, is, and it is just 30 seconds because that's, I come across a lot of resistance from people saying, I haven't got time to do that. I haven't got time to meditate. I haven't got time to learn a chant. I don't have time to do yoga every day. And, and just as you've said it there, of course, that just makes it so simple. 30 seconds. We can all afford yeah. 30 seconds in the morning or a minute, can't we? We can. And they're not wrong. Life is so full. But can we just think about, well, I'm taking a shower. I can shower and ruminate on what someone said to me yesterday. Or I could focus on the cleansing property of the water and allow it to, to release and expunge all that stuff that I no longer need. I'm getting dressed. Can I choose a garment that has a colour that, that lifts me up? Or, you know, can I wear an item of jewellery that was gifted to me by someone that I love? So it's like a talisman of care all day. Yeah, I can do that. It doesn't take any extra time. How we eat our food, right? I'm not saying that you're going to savour every mouthful that passes your lips, but can we at least taste three sips of our morning coffee and really, you know, be, bear witness to it? Yeah, it's simple. It is simple, but it's doable. And these things really do make a difference. It's, we've touched on this before, haven't we, Giles, the mindfulness moments. We've, we've had mm. a couple of guests who've, who've uh, spoken mm. to us about this. Um, I think about, I'm thinking about Gelong Thubton, who talked about uh, he, he's a monk and um, is now, he's very, very busy, he's flying all over the world, advising people what to do. His life is, is hectic and busy, so he takes these moments on the tube if he's travelling from one place to the other. And he, I remember, I'll never forget him telling me about, you know, feeling uh, the leather strap of his, of his bag in his shoulder and actually feeling that weight and then moving with the rocking of the train mm. and actually taking in that th sensation rather than it's crowded, it's busy, it's hot, where am I getting off, what am I doing? He, he used those moments. And that is the only way to sort of cram in self-care if you've, if you've got these, these hectic lives, isn't it? Well, I guess it's engaging with our senses, which we, you know, we sometimes just, you know, we, we use our eyes a lot and we use our, but there's other senses that we have that we don't, you know, we leave dormant quite a lot of time. So maybe that's some, some of it. Is yes. And it's, well. it's, it's an application of mindfulness, but it's more than mindfulness. So mindfulness is noticing and allowing, but let's take it one step further. Let's then savour. So savouring is the ability to suck the joy out of a pleasurable moment. But what I love about savouring is that it's not just in this moment that you can use the skill. You can savour the past by reminiscing and you can save the future by anticipating. So it broadens it even further. It's not just about enjoying this moment. Susie, as I said before, you've written all these wonderful self-care books. Um, your, your latest book, This Book Will Help Make You Happy. I'm right in that it's more focused towards children, isn't it? And... Yeah. 
um, how we can make our children happy. And uh, so I'm, I'm, we're obviously very interested in that. What, what are we doing wrong as parents? Oh, my goodness. Do you know what? Can we just give ourselves permission <laughs> to learn and grow with our kids? Right? Like we were saying before, this is new. Yeah. I think our children are, are, you know, possibly even learning about these concepts before we are. You know, they're learning growth mindset in, in nursery. It's okay to be a beginner with your kid. This is not how we were raised. Yeah, these skills were not modelled for us by our parents. So we need to cut ourselves some slack. But I was just so excited to have an opportunity to write a book for kids to read themselves because so often, um, as soon as mummy or daddy says something, well, that's come out of mum's or dad's mouth. I don't want to hear about that. They want to receive this stuff for themselves and own it. So, yeah, this book will help make you happy is, is written for kids and it's all about building their own toolkit so that we can have an open and honest dialogue and support each other, but there are things that they, they can do to help navigate their days as well. So what age group are you aiming this at? It's aimed at 9 to 11, but my six-year-old is reading it at the moment and I know parents that are reading it. It's the same tips and tools that I use as an adult, but just making them applicable for younger kids, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, Susie, because I know there's some, you know, some of the chapters are things like, um, you know, gratitude and attitude and um, thinking straight, looking at happiness, mindfulness. There's a, what, what, how did you go about sort of deciding what to write about and what not to write about? Well, I mean, the, the joy of having an opportunity to provide 50 strategies meant that there was going to be something for everybody. And I just wanted to make sure that you know, sometimes I mean, the thing is it's different things resonate for different people, but also it's more complex than that. It, your own individual needs and preferences change over time. So we need a really broad toolkit. So I wanted to make sure that there was movement in there. There was um, tips and strategies for promoting better sleep, how to relax. I wanted there to be um, ways to reframe your thinking so if there's in any moment, whether it's the breath or whether it's the body or whether you you're addressing your thinking, there's there's a different tip for any for any any individual, but lots of different moments as well. So they're all in there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you tried to cover every base. Yeah, well, that's, uh, what 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 strikes me, and it's the thing that I think is true of all your books, is that it, these things are and we've touched on it a bit, are actually simple things to put into practice. And, and I was interested when you were saying about putting those boundaries in place, and that is such a big part of it for each of us, is to put those small boundaries in place that, so that we can do some of these other things that are going to enrich our lives. This, I, I think the pandemic has been a, an incredible opportunity for boundary work. Uh, I know personally there's, mm. we've had to re-articulate boundaries because we're in the midst of completely, you know, new variables so we've had to do things differently um but really it comes down to we've got to give ourselves permission to protect our energy so that will be saying yes to things and saying no to things and um, giving ourselves permission to carve the time and space to look after ourselves and I think for people that have a tough time doing that I would urge you you know come back to that definition self-care is health care without our health what do we have now that in itself might not even be enough to motivate people, right? We don't necessarily care about our health, but you, we all care about what our health facilitates. So let's come back to that, that personal motivator of, well, when I'm well-nourished, this is when I can step up and be the kind of parent that I aspire to be. 
or this is how I can show up with authenticity in my professional life, or this is how I can um, f- fuel a healthy relationship with my husband. That's the stuff that I hope will, will help galvanise people and take action, even in the face of that guilt around doing this. What do we do? How do we help our, our children at this time um, who are struggling with the lack of social interaction? I mean, I know that my kids are really missing their friends and this, the Zoom thing and video conferencing, even that interaction that they're getting, it isn't enough for them. And it's very difficult for us as parents to enrich their lives in the same way. You know, you, I try and play with my kids a lot and genuinely play, you know, give them playtime. But it's not the same as hanging out with their friends. How can we help kids get through this this particularly weird time i think you've mentioned some beautiful strategies there already you know bearing witness to it communicating a sense of understanding we we get that this is hard so validating that experience doing our best to provide the connection that we can facilitating the connection that we can beyond us um it's a matter of acknowledging there are things that we need that we can't do right now, but what can we do in its place? So we're sending little postcards to grandma. We're doing little voice notes. Um, Sometimes it's a matter of, with other family members, look through happy memories and send a little image and say, remember when we did that? It was amazing. Reliving it with your senses and saying, I can't wait to make new memories again. But it is so challenging because We've got to keep coming back to what, what can we do something about? We can't change that and that's painful. So in a sense, there's, we're left with kind of acceptance and, and moving through grief. So if we can support our children through that grief response, I think that's, but again, this is new territory for a lot of people. What do we do with these feelings? It can be very hard. And as parents, we kind of, there's that natural impulse. We want to take it away and of course we do. But in actual fact, it almost robs people of a normal natural response to a very painful set of circumstances. So can we just sit with them in it? Can we work on ways to move through those feelings, whether it's movement or being in nature or or giving voice to it or using some breath work? It's challenging stuff. This is, I think it's a new toolkit for parents. So let's just go gently on each other. Now, Susie, you've obviously written about being calm and, and, and calm um, as, as a big topic of, of, of the self-care, um, I was going to say movement then, but and I think that'd be nice to call it a, a movement. But what do you do in those moments to keep calm? If you're, particularly if you're in a, a moment of high anxiety, what little, little tidbits could you give listeners who, who might be feeling a little bit like that at the moment? Okay, I want to preface all of these comments with, um, hands up, I don't always get it right. I'm not calm all the time. Mm-hmm. It's not humanly possible. Please, can we give ourselves permission to be human? There are some things, however, that I do turn to that are very powerful and, um, and I hope they can help others as well. So our ability to stay calm is really anchored in our physicality. You know, it's, it's about a nervous system state, isn't it? So um, I try and notice to begin with, just notice where my body's at. And quite often I've lost my neck, my shoulders are up or around my ears or uh, I've got a grinchy face, yes, so I, I start by just noticing and then I cultivate a physical softening. I try and relax those areas where I habitually hold tension. Um, the breath is very powerful. From a physiological point of view, it is impossible to be stressed at the same time as breathing well. 
You can breathe well and still be concerned about something or irritated about something, but you won't be in the full floods of the stress response. So um, smoothing out my breathing. Sometimes in real heightened states, I don't know if anyone else has experienced this, but sometimes when you work with the breath and you're feeling anxious, it can actually make you feel more anxious or more irritated. So I tend to use movement paired with breath. So it still it helps me breathe better, but I'm not thinking about the breath. So um, when I'm feeling really irritated, the lion breath helps me roar out the energetic charge of my emotions without saying something harmful. And it looks a little silly, so my kids and I can have a laugh. What is the lion breath? Try and I know this is difficult so, to do without visuals. The but... lion breath is you breathe in through your nose and then you exhale through your mouth with the tongue extended as far out as possible with a real roar. So it sounds like this. And it looks ridiculous. Uh-huh. But it's powerful, right? <laughs> so instead of saying something harmful, you roar it out, you've moved through the energetic charge of it, you might have had a giggle in the process and it helps. Sometimes that's not appropriate. It might be the candle breath where you breathe in through your nose and out through gently pursed lips, elongating the exhalation, and that helps as well. So we've got the body, we've got the breath, but then we also need to get the mind on side. And I would say, please speak to yourself with tender, coaxing, loving words. And it really does work, doesn't it? Uh, I think we all underestimate the power of our own conversation with ourselves. And it doesn't make the problems go away. That's not what it does. But it does make you more able to cope with the problems by speaking positively to yourself, doesn't it? It does indeed. It just, it, it, it gives us a little bit more space, a little more malleability, yeah, it, it helps us respond rather than react, yeah. Okay, so we've had the candle breath, the lion breath. Any other breath that we should be working on? I'm, I'm big into alternative nostril breathing. Oh, yes. I do that with my little boy because he struggles sometimes with sleep, so I do that every night with him to sort of calm him down, and he responds very well to it. That's a very soothing practice. The other one that I really like at the moment that um, it's quite useful throughout the day, I think quite often we associate breathing practices with calming down and getting to sleep. There are also breathing practices that can enliven and, and tap us into a feeling of personal mm. power. That can be really useful just before home learning when, you know, you just, let's get present. Okay. So why don't we stand up and do a mountain breath where you stand up tall like a mountain, breathe in, raise your arms out and up, bring them to touch above your head. And then exhale, lower your arms back down by your sides. I love it because it's just, it's a full body practice. You're coming into that sense of standing tall. So we naturally feel more alert and, uh, you know, a sense of zest. It opens your body to a, a more complete breath. And when you breathe better, you feel better. And it's it's joyful. Something we can do together. This is amazing, hasn't it? The, 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 the mental and the physical are so interconnected that we don't, and we often don't realise it, that, you know, physical activity how much that benefits our our brains one of the quickest ways to change how you feel is to move your body yeah and from my perspective this is the thing i'm so glad i had that decade working as a personal trainer i really see no separation between mind and body you think about going for a run it benefits your mental health just as much as as your body it's it's you know we've got to feed our brains you've got to hydrate yourself for an access to sense of humor you know there's 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 no separation well, Susie, it's been so lovely talking to you today. Thank you so much for giving us a bit more insight into self-care and, and some, some brilliant practices that, we, you know, like we said, we all can make a little bit of time 
for one another to do. Um, before we go, we have a little thing on the podcast where we ask our guests um, to place three things in our happy jar. Um, so our happy jar is that place where we can put little things that have meant a great deal to us, maybe a, a special time or a, or a special meal or maybe a, a nice holiday. But I wonder if you've got three things you'd like to put in our happy jar. I have got three things and I want these three things to be accessible to everyone, whether they're holed up with 10 people or whether they're on their Todd. And my three things would be the mood alchemy of scent. Yeah. Um, yeah. The therapeutic benefits of touch. So even if you're on your own, can you hold your own hand can you tenderly massage in some body balm and, and, and feel wrapped up in care? Mm. And the other one, it has to be kind, compassionate words. Nice. I like those. What's your favourite compassionate word? Ooh, oh, it, it, right now, it has to be right now. I appreciate me. <laughs> I appreciate it. In parenthood, there are so many unsung things, right? We've got to get really good at saying, well done. They're there. <laughs> I appreciate me. That's helping me. Yes, that's helping me yeah. navigate uh, the dishwasher being broken. <laughs> <laughs> you might have to do some lion breaths when, that, uh, when you see that's happened. <laughs> Well, Susie, it's been honestly, it's been a delight to talk to you, and um, thank you. I know that I'm going to benefit a lot from some of the things you've said today, and I know I'm sure Judy definitely. Well. And also, I think very helpful for people who have children in their lives. We should say as well, and not necessarily parents as well. I think you know, we, we, we've all we can be aunties and uncles and best friends, and we have children in our, in our lives. Uh, so this book will make make you happy. This book will help make you happy. I think it's going to be a really uh, a really useful tool for lots of families. And, uh, and friends around the world. So thank you, Susie. It's been lovely talking to you. I feel all calm and zen. Oh, it's I been such a joy. Thank you so much for having me. She's got a very soothing voice, hasn't she, Susie? Very soothing. I can imagine her on one of those Headspace-type apps. Yeah, she'd be good at that. She'd be really good. I've got a book here, one of my favourites, called Ikigai, which is the Japanese secret to a long and happy life. And it seemed like the fitting way to end this self-care uh, episode of A Little Bit of Positive. Um, some of the things they say are don't look at any kind of screen for the first hour that you're awake and the last hour before you go to sleep. Could you do that? That is something I have been trying to do, but it is tricky. That is tricky, isn't it? That is tricky. What one's harder? I think it's harder to do it in the not do it in the morning, actually. Yeah, because you sort of wake up and you and you you go, oh, let's see what. Yeah, I, yes. I'm trying. I'm like you. I'm trying not to. I'm trying to do lots of other stuff before I look at the phone because actually it doesn't matter. And I've got little kids and there's lots of lovely stuff to do with them and have breakfast with them and all. So and it's a better way of starting your day. So I think that's I think that's that's achievable. Um, I don't know what you think about this one. Read and respond to emails only once or twice a day. Define those times and clearly stick to them. <laughs> see, I'm a people pleaser, so I feel like I have to respond instantly. You see, that's bad. Mm. Responding instantly is bad because you also might respond incorrectly. If somebody sends you a slightly angry or narky email or something that just upsets you, 
you, if you respond on, I think, if you respond quickly to that, it might not be the response that you'd have done 24 mm. hours later. So I am a believer in holding off responding to emails. I think it's a really good idea if you can say, I'm going to do my emails between 10 and 12, mm. and I might do them between five and six. I think that is a good thing if you can do it. Yeah, I have, having said that, I have started to put time aside for certain admin things. And I suppose you need to try and include some of those things in your admin. Yeah, it's routine, isn't it? We've yeah. talked about this before, how, you, how it's important to get a routine into your day. Uh, the Pomodoro technique is 25 minutes of work and five minutes of rest, or you can increase that to 50 minutes of work and 10 minutes of rest. And this is an interesting one. Start your work uh, session with a ritual that you enjoy and a little reward at the end. That's also good. What's the ritual though? Well, you could do, I don't know, well, I'm a chanter, so I could do one of my little chants. I could do a chant for a minute before I start it. And then my reward would be a nice bit of fruit or something or a nice mm. cup of mint tea. Or... I'm trying to think what my ritual could Breathing? Be. You like breathing? Do I about do, yeah, breathing? breathing techniques. Yeah, yeah, I could do a bit of Wim Hof. And, uh... you, could, you could do a bit of Wim Hof to, to start and then a bit of stretching to end. Well, funny enough... I recorded a podcast the other day and I actually, I don't normally get nervous and I did get nervous um, before it. I don't know why. Can't really mm. put my finger on it. But I decided to just do a little bit of meditation, very much in keeping with um, one of our brilliant guests, Gilong Thubton, who was on. Yes. Um, and the I, 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 monk. yeah, and I totally remember what he said about sitting on the, or standing on the tube station. And I thought, I sat on my chair and I thought about, floor beneath my feet and i sat there and i relaxed and it really helped it was really well, really nice so more of that I, maybe i always find it very helpful as well and i do this with my little boy to calm him down in, at night before we go to sleep is the nostril breathing you you can do alternate um alternate uh nose breathing which is you'll find it all over the all over the web you'll be able to find it um but basically you close one of the nostrils and you breathe in and then you breathe out through the other nostril and you do that a few times but essentially breathing through the nose is much better than breathing through the mouth it's much more calming so you breathe through the nose and then you can sigh it out or in yoga we do this you do a thing where you go like this <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, baby. Down with dog. <laughs> Taking it to the next level. What's that called? Oh, I can't remember. <laughs> There's a dragon breath or something. <laughs> it sounds a bit Game of Thrones. Yes, it is a bit Game of Thrones. But there we go. So some yeah. good self-care tips there today, and, everybody. And like I said before, very simple things that we can put into our days, aren't they? They're not things that yeah. will take up lots of time and effort. Yeah, all very, very achievable. I think that was a, a positive episode of A Little Bit of Positive. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs> Say goodbye, Giles. Oh, goodbye. <laughs>